Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. I've been thinking a lot about that saying that the universe doesn't give you what you want, it gives you what you need. Like it gives you the experiences that you need in order to transcend, in order to become better, in order to become stronger and build resiliency and see that you can. And it makes me think of like in all of my experiences of thinking, you know, that that you get handed what you can handle, but sometimes you're not sure that your hands can hold what you get handed, that you're actually required to expand in order to hold what's going on in our lives, the grief, the anger, the transition, the change, the uncertainty, all the things in in that, like whenever you have to expand, you have to crack. And what the cracking does is it makes life more unfamiliar. It makes our own identity become unfamiliar because there's something safe about maintaining a certain size container which is that you know you can hold it, right? So there's, when something comes into your life that says, nope, you gotta gotta break, you gotta go, you gotta gotta become different, you gotta become bigger, you you gotta transform. And we don't often think of our life experiences as constantly being an invitation to that. And I think that a lot of the times that's because we are so used to playing small and being in small containers and wearing masks that that's what grief reminds us. That's what change reminds us. That's what loss and uncertainty remind us is that you can hold it all, that you are big enough, that you always were. And so it's more of a reminder, you know, a reminder that you're remembering, which you think about like to remember, you know, like I think of that idea of like another member is entering who you are, another invitation being accepted. I remember reading uh, or watching a presentation from David Data, uh, who wrote a really incredible book called The Way of the Superior Man, uh, which I I think is essential for all males to read, you know, as a baseline book, uh, Warrior, Jishin, King, Lover, that's a great book too. In the presentation, he said that there are three stages of of relationship. And the first stage is, I need you. I need you. You complete me. Very, you know, Jerry Maguire-esque. And this is what Disney's taught us. I need you. You save me. You you complete me. You validate me. You are my worth. And then there's what usually occurs after closeness has created injuries, which is I don't need anyone. I, I, I'm fine on my own. And so in one, we are lost and within another. We are dissolved within another. We are enmeshed within another. In the other one, we are isolated from other. We are not able to be connected to other because we so fear connection leads to loss that we uh, do anything to avoid connection. And then the third stage is, through you, I, I find me. Through you, I find God. Through you, I find my greatest self, my greatest expansion. You know, that's why in my relationship to Kai, I don't choose Kai because she always makes me feel good or you know, that that's her job even is total bullshit. It's that she tells me the truth about who I am being. But that's the most beautiful thing about it is she loves me so much that she tells me the truth. And I think we often don't see that when someone outside of us, it doesn't have to be a romantic partner, it can be anyone we're in relationship with, including our boss, including our teammate, including our friend, 
when they tell us the truth and we don't like it, it doesn't mean they're not good peeps. It actually means they're the best peeps because they're telling us the truth. And when we don't want to know that truth, we often sever, run, do all those things. So when you find someone who you're dating or in relationship with currently and your partner or potential partner tells you the truth of how you've behaved and who you are, be grateful because that's the invitation to you to become your best, most expanded self. And that's such a different way to see relationship. And of course, this rebirth or no, that's the wrong word, this reconnection back to self the truth of who I actually am. Now there's a grace that can wash over us. It might feel like shame. It will almost always feel like shame first or embarrassment. But in it, if you meet it with grace, the truth of what's real, then you can change. Then you can transform. Then you can truly be intimate with another because you're bringing your authentic self, the part of you that is sometimes condescending or assertive or defensive or withdraws or whatever, when you can bring that part of you to the table and acknowledge why do you do that? What is the pain that you're trying to protect from? What's the hurt below the behavior? And that's a beautiful space to get to, one that sort of breathes a sigh of relief because the child within us who's so constricted, who's really developed the adolescent teenage responses, right, can finally sigh, just take a breath and okay, the adult's here, let's do this. And that's how you develop new behaviors, is new choices, is what would the adult do? What would humility do? What would curiosity do? What would connection do? What would love do? What a different way of thinking about things, you know? And so as you become more connected to that real version of you relationally, you'll notice that there's a version of you that's connected to your purpose, connected to what you like to talk about, your passions, and that you still, you start to date that part of you too, build a relationship with that part of you. And you see that you were taught generally, taught to do the job you chose, taught to do so many things, ways of being that are really ways of doing doing that because involves participating in the systems, which there's, again, there's nothing wrong with any of that because we all do it till we wake up within the system, within the dream and say, holy shit, I chose all this and what now? And I remember when I was on the beginning of that journey of what do I really want to do, which there was a loud voice that's like, you need to talk about relationships. You need to write about relationships. You need to speak about relationships. That was all coming up for me. And I went to this workshop And it was just a life-changing experience for me. You know, one of the exercises was you had to write down all the shit you were done doing. What are you done doing? What the fuck are you done doing? What do you not like about your life? What is the truth? What is robbing you of your joy? What are you done doing? Are you done being a people pleaser? Done not living your dream? Not Done not using your voice? What are you done doing? And I had a list. I think it was one of the first times that I realized I did shit I didn't want to do. And I'm like, why would you ever do shit you don't want to do when you have a choice to do shit you do want to do? And so the first thing is acknowledging. And I want you, as you're listening to this, grab a piece of paper, pull out your phone, pull out the notes. What are you done doing? What are you fucking done with? And then the next part is, 
What are you ready to give birth to? What are you ready to do? What do you love? What do you, what do you love doing right now? What do you want more of? Why do people come to you? What are you passionate about? That's what brings us alive. And it's even just in the acknowledgement that that part of you exists, that there's a part of you that does shit you don't want to do. Now, of course, here's what I always hear when I have this conversation. There's always someone, which God bless this person, who says, yeah, but sometimes you got to do shit you don't want to do, like change a diaper. Yeah, of course, I get that. But we're talking about things like uh, overfunction, take care of everybody, get uncomfortable about other people's feelings, try to control our world, um, don't share how we feel, like do the real shit. If you're trying to find all the caveats as to why the statement doesn't work, then you need to be done doing that, done escaping reality, done trying to find all the caveats to not actually have to do the work. We accept that there are human things that we have to do, but one thing you don't have to do that needs to go on the list is self-abandon And you're not self-abandoning when you're changing a diaper. You're loving, you're caring, you're nurturing for a living being. Do you provide the same love, care, and nurturing for yourself? That's a good question, isn't it? I wanted to take a quick break in this episode to talk to you about the greatest struggle that people have in dating. And that is asking the right questions. And not just the right questions, but asking hard questions. Questions that determine if someone wants what you want, what you are, what your relationship status is, that that deepen vulnerability and intimacy. And ultimately, asking the right questions allows you to get to know someone on a deeper level, gets to know their values, get to know whether they're a good fit for you. Now, I recognize that when I get feedback on asking questions, people say, that's too hard to ask, or it's too soon to ask that, or whatever the excuse or thought or feeling or fear might be. And so I thought, shit, let me ask the hard questions. And that's why I created Create the Love Cards. Create the Love Cards is created with such intention for you to deepen your conversations on dating. And because of that, the deck, when you open it up, it fits two smartphones. So you can put your phone inside the box as you take the cards out so you can both be present. Now, if someone doesn't want to play, I'm like, swipe left. That's a red flag. Like, who doesn't want to play a game? Second... I've got it in four sections. So we've got foreplay, diving deeper, too much information, because would it be a deck from me if it didn't have TMI, and building chemistry. So there's four sections for you to explore the landscapes of one another and see if you're a good fit. If you want to have deeper conversations, if you want to take this deck of cards on your dates or on your date night, or you think this would be a good gift for a couple, then go to createthelove.com slash cards. I put them at a really accessible price of 30 bucks, and I can't wait for you to check them out. They've received rave reviews. People are loving them. I have actually one friend who took them out on its second date with someone that she was hitting it off with. And after she got the answers to the questions that the deck provided, she realized that this person was not a good fit and swiped left and now is in a relationship with someone she loves. So that's what dating is about, is it's about filtering. And also my intention is to support you along that journey to not just finding the person that you want, but if you're with them, asking the questions that help create and deepen intimacy. So go to createthelove.com slash cards and grab a set now. So the guest I have on today is one of the incredible women who facilitated that workshop. And oh, 
she is straight fire and gospel and all the things I got to tell you. When I recorded this podcast with her, I was like, "Woo!" I felt like I just went to church. So I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. As per usual, my request of you is, could you please give this a five-star review and a written review and make sure you subscribe to it so you don't miss any episodes. And if you love this one, share it on uh, your Instagram stories or whatever and tag me. That would be so appreciated. I am so grateful for the support that you provide me in being able to create this podcast. And let's get it in more people's ears because let's be honest, these are the conversations we need to be having. These are the conversations that bring this world alive. What a beautiful world it can be. So with, without further ado, I was gonna say with further ado, that doesn't make any sense. Without further ado, here is Allison Bird. Today, I am so blessed to have Allison Bird on the podcast. Welcome. I'm so excited to be with you. Like, I feel like I'm with a superstar. <laughs> you know, I was, we were just talking before we hit record that I, that I was like, I know we've met before. We met like seven years ago at a Lisa, Lisa Nichols workshop that you were co-facilitating and I, it just yeah. put the pieces together and I just remember that was honestly one of, it was a very like moment it was a moment in my life that that really changed my direction or gave me the courage to move towards my dreams more so thanks for already having an influence on me i really appreciate it <laughs> i love that and you know what i said to you is that time that we met was probably one of the most painful heartbreaking uh times of my life and i masked that and would perform during the day. I was completely performative in my role. So I would do what I needed to do on the stage in front of everyone. And then I would go back to my room, watch Netflix, order French fries and cry my eyes out mm -hmm. for five days. Yeah. And I last year when I went through a breakup, I was facilitating a, a workshop with a company with a bunch of leaders. And I, I remember each morning being like, this is the most important work of the day. Let's go. And then, you know, later at night, I could do the same thing that you're talking about. So thanks for showing up despite what you were going through, because you did. I mean, you really did. I'm serious when I say that those workshops altered my life. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think that's what a lot of people, you know, we live in this meme society where Instagram kind of rules our thought process a lot. And when it says like, if, you know, when you read memes, if it doesn't feel good, don't do it. If it's not working for you, let it go. Da, 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 da. Well, you know, that's not really true because often we have to do things that don't feel good um, because we're living the consequences of life with other human beings and they're making choices and we're making choices. And so we're in the dance of those circumstances and consequences. So sometimes you're not doing things that feel good, but you're doing things that matter and you're doing mm. things that you put your word to, and you're doing things that you're accountable to spirit for, because before you got here, you gave a yes to spirit. However, you acknowledge universal energy, whether you acknowledge it as deity, as God, or you within as light, as power, you gave that yes. And so despite the pain, the discomfort, the betrayal, the hurt, the guilt, and sometimes even the shame or embarrassment of our own choices, we've got to press our way forward and deliver 
and then go back and find that balance of retreat and healing and reconciliation to self, you know? I totally get that reminds me of uh, something I heard Ram Das say once in one of his lecture series where he talked about how there's a moment where you wake up and you realize that you're a soul in a human body. And you realize that, you know, in what you're saying, that you have a mission, you have a purpose, you that. And I, I've always loved the concept as soon as it was introduced to me that that is your work. Like your work is to both be human, to be in the world, but not of the world, to like be able to dance in the pain of the recognition of how whatever you've been through. But the work starts now. Do you know what I mean? I do. And I think that our I don't think I know that our humanity is hardwired to stay safe, but our spirit loves the dance of the adventure and the thrill of rebound. Our spirit really has a buoyancy that our humanity doesn't. So that's why being grounded in spirit, in your spirit, in your truth is so important because then it allows you to have a bounce back that your humanity would not otherwise give give you at all. Mm, I, I think my soul is like, let's light this shit up. Let's do this. You know, it's got that. I feel like it's got that sort of mischievous desire to like want to rock the boat, to want to have conversations that people are afraid to have. And that's important because if you're not doing that, then the world doesn't get pushed to the edge. You know, we don't change. And I think that there are people that are listening that are automatically going to go, wow, that's powerful for Mark. And wow, that's powerful for Allison. But how does that happen for me? And I Mm. want to give you a quick tool because another human trait is that we will discount ourselves. We will elevate someone else as different from us and available to something for them, but not for us. So you get to be abundant. You get to be free. Mm. You get to have a great relationship. You get to have love. You get to have a great, you know, a, a crazy, beautiful home or whatever people make up in their heads. That majesty and that magic is for you, but it's not for me. So let me give you a quick tool that you can use. And it is however you pray or ask for your expansion Change the conversation from change me to return me. Mm. So in lieu of saying a lot of times, even if we don't verbally articulate it, we energetically articulate that something in us needs to change. We hire coaches, we go to workshops, we invest in courses, we buy books. Uh, Jeff Bezos has gotten rich on us wanting to change ourselves, ordering every book, every card deck, every everything, change me. But what if our prayer, what if our outcry was return me? So in lieu of change me to be compassionate or change me to be um, philanthropic, change me to be, um, you know, uh, adventurous or whatever it is that you desire, return me. Because if you have the idea in your head, if it's in your psyche at all, the mix of your thought process, the intermingling of your soul and your heart and your spirit, that means you have foreknowledge, which means you are asking to be reconciled to a part of you that you have left behind. So Mm. you return yourself 
to yourself. You don't want to change. None of us want to change. There's nothing in us that needs to be changed. We came here whole, resourceful, and complete. And there are things that get fragmented over time. One of the things I teach all the time, Mark, is release OPP, other people's problems, perceptions, and philosophies. And so because we take on the problems of what we grew up in, the perceptions of community that was around us, and the philosophies that got ingrained in us through education, through community, through family, through friendships, through all through circumstances, through all the things, we lose pieces of ourselves. And then we think we need to be changed. And in lieu of that, I invite you to say, return me. So whatever you desire, whatever you crave, just try on that prayer, try on that verbal articulation, try on that meditation and that mindset and see if it feels good and feels uh, more deeply aligned and gets you to the thing that you crave quicker, sooner and faster. Well, I mean, as you say it, I feel like it's just that change of language because language matters so much. You know, the words determine our world in so many ways. And it's in just changing to return to me, it mm-hmm. feels like uh, like it's a, a recognition of wholeness, like mm-hmm. a recognition of a peaceful feeling. It's a peaceful feeling. When we think we have to change, then we also have to take on the identity that a part of us is broken, that something in us is flawed, which really the only reason we have, let's say, challenging or dysfunctional or opportunities for growth areas of behavior is because we learn them. We learn them for survival. We learn them to be part of a family, a society, a culture, a religion, all these things. And so you're, I love that idea of sort of like, it's a treasure hunt of getting the pieces of you back that you gave away to fit in, to do whatever. One of the things that I recognize, people ask me all the time, because I work with leaders that are so ultra successful and Mm -hmm. win so big in life, people ask me all the time, like, How do I get to that for myself? And one thing that I say is that winners have a culture of winning and winners. So the two things that I notice the distinction between winners, and I'm going to define that a little bit more and the distinction between people who fear that they're losing in life. And I'm going to not say losers because I think that they fear that they're losing. And so because they fear it, they then attract it. And then they manifest that. They manifest and generate it. They get with people that can bring more of that losing energy. That's the culture that kind of gets, you know, grown. And what I experience of people that people feel are winning is that they perceive that they're winning and they create a culture the same way. And the second thing is they don't allow themselves to resist craving more. And that's something Mm. that is divine to crave prosperity, to crave abundance, to crave greatness, to crave influence. That is natural. And it's actually part of our divine flow that sometimes we can resist. People tell me all the time, I don't want to be famous. Like, no way. I don't want to be famous. And I say, okay, you don't want to be famous. And they're like, nope, I'm just want what? Okay. I'm like, fill in the blank. What do you want? (laughs) If you don't want fame, right? Would you want to be known for what you're the best in the world at? 
I do. Yes. I do. <laughs> you like credibility in your field. Yes. I would like that. Would you want the New York times or NPR or like whatever field you're in where it makes sense that they call you, would you want USA today? Or if you're in North America, I'm naming North American influential spaces. Would you want them to give you a call and say, Hey, can you answer this for us? Can you jump on this show? Can you do this? Because then you can make an impact to millions. Oh my God. Yes. That is an answer to prayer. Then baby, you want to be famous. (laughs) You want to be famous. And one thing that will deny us from the ultra manifestations of our greatness and living in the truth of our gift is when we're dishonest that we Mm. came here with an answer. We came here to be an answer. We came here because there was a contrast existing and the good of the world said, you can come and make a difference to this darkness and bring light, but you must be known. Who said yes to that? Mother Teresa. Who said yes to that? Dr. Martin Luther King. Who's saying yes to that today? Oprah Winfrey. Who's saying yes to that? Elon Musk. Who's saying yes to that? Whether you like them or not, Richard Branson. And I mean, I could go on and on of people who say yes to that. And for some reason, we want to push the pedestal away to them. And then we want to sit in our homes and we want to wonder why we aren't the change that we wish to see in the world. Why don't more people know who I am? Well, because you gave the pedestal away. Mm. Gave it away. And yet there are so many times that it is being brought back to you. And through your denial of it, you're saying, I don't want it. I don't want it. Because you've made up what it looks like to be famous. You've made it a Kim Kardashian, a Kylie Jenner kind of world. And so you judge that world. And so your judgment is keeping you away from what you truly desire. And the truth of the matter is they're in their cause and they're in their anointing. And so you've got to let go of your judgment so that you can let come your freedom and in your freedom will come your greatness. But if you're tethered to judgment, it is like a noose or a weight around your neck and you will never get into the largeness and serve those that you're meant to serve without a sense of freedom and abundance that can only come when you're honest, when you have self-ethics and integrity, when you understand who you are, whose you are, and why you came to exist, when you acknowledge the contrast that you are the answer for, and when you allow yourself the abundance that keeps you from worrying about the light bill and instead be the light. That's Mm. when you step into who you truly are and manifest all of the greatness that comes with it. I feel like I'm at church. That's how that yes. yes. Yeah, I did. I was like, whoa, man, I am in some gospel right here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious because I'm sure lots of people asking or listening. They're not asking. I'm going to ask for them. I think I'm going to try, which I'm thinking as, as I'm hearing you speak that, okay, so if I want to explore and find the contrast, how what is the beginning of this mission? Because we got for sure a mixed bag of listeners. We got entrepreneurs and we got people who work in a job nine to five. We are, pro- I mean, we could speak to the people who are happy in their job nine to five, but you know, it's probably for the people who have a calling, who have a feeling, 
you know, and I feel like we are in a, we're in a time where there is no better time to start a business because of so many circumstances and there's a lot of opportunity to uh, start businesses. So I'm curious, where do you begin? Where do you begin? I, can you solve all of this? This is what I'm, yeah. Can you just give us the answer after everyone listens to this? There's going to be entrepreneurs abounding. Oh my gosh. Well, the first thing that I want to say is entrepreneurship is a career. So, mm-hmm. you know, it it is the courage and the will to live out the big idea for your life. And all entrepreneurs need to be supported by people who, who have big ideas to support big idea thinkers. So don't be afraid to be a supporter. I mean, for five years, I was in a support role of a massive entrepreneur. And it was wonderful for me. I would never be working with the entrepreneurial leaders that I do today. I would never have founded my tech company. I never would have made my own first million dollars, my own independent wealth, because I would have left that for you know, OQP, only qualified people. I would have said, Mm -hmm. oh no, only other people get that. No, I, you know, my mom was a single mom, worked three jobs. I was a black girl raised in the South. My dad was in prison, uh, you know, in Chicago. Only qualified people get to have that kind of life. And I would have set myself aside as not being able to be that person. So I want to say that entrepreneurship is a career, just like going to a job is a career. There are just different freedoms that come with all of it. So if I work a job at McDonald's, there's uh, or if I work a job, you know, as an attorney where I'm billing a couple of thousand dollars an hour, there's a distinction to my independence, my autonomy and my freedoms because of the financial level. But I choose both. So we we choose both. So I do want to be clear about that. So the first thing that I want to say is let go of thinking that only qualified people get to have certain kind of lives. You are qualified. And what you are qualified to be is exceptional. And what I experienced, Mark, is that people do not allow themselves to be exceptional. They stay in the cult of average. And so how do you know you're in the cult of average when you are tethered to group think, when you think like everybody else thinks, and when you have a disruptive thought, you're afraid of expressing it. You're afraid of the crime of outshining. Somehow, that was me. That was me in the workshop. Like I knew that I had a calling and I remember hearing uh, this call of like, it's time. So please continue the gospel. Well, and I appreciate appreciate you for saying that because so many of us, we stay there for a long time. And what happens is there's a scripture in the Christian faith where it talks about the children of Egypt that just like get lost and they just like are walking around and walking around and they're stuck and they're stuck and they're stuck. And it's a great tale for us to understand that mirrors us, that mirrors us where we're just walking around in the routine of life, borrowing everybody else's thinking. So somehow we've come to believe that success makes us a burden to those who aren't rising at our speed. And so then we feel Mm -hmm. like we've got to cater to the cult of average so that they're not let down by the truth of their own self-endorsed reality. So if That's I'm interesting. Yeah, so let me let me break that down. Let me, yeah. let me break that down a little bit. It is called survivor's remorse. 
And years ago, um, many years ago, W.E.B. Du Bois made famous The Talented Tenth, an essay, The Talented Tenth. And it came out of freedom from slavery. When Black people were freed, white people got very scared. They were like, there's going to be an uprising. It's going to be terrible. Like they, there was all this fear. And there was an essay that was written that said, and I say W.B. Du Bois made it famous because he wasn't the original writer. And so there was an essay that said, wait a minute, here's the truth of the matter. Black people have been oppressed for so many years. And Dr. Joe Dispenza discusses this with all cultures, Jewish Asian, Jewish cultures, Asian cultures, like it's, it's everywhere except within white supremacy. It's everywhere. And so he says, the culture is that they are oppressed and it's been in them for 400 years. So when you free them, watch this, Mark, when you free them, they're not even going to own their freedom. They're going to look to you and say, define my freedom. The very master they want to be free from, they're going to look to the master and say, what does it mean to be free? And and so what W.B. Du Bois says in the essay is there will only be one out of 10, which is why it's called the Talented Tenth. Look it up. You can also look at Harvard Business Review, did a recent study on it. I mean, so good how it's evolved over time said that only one out of 10 will actually embrace their freedom and say, I got this. I got a, mm. I got an idea. I'm going to take responsibility. And not only am I going to take responsibility to live it out, I'm going to find a way to make a living on it. So I'm going to take my meaning and I'm going to find a way to monitor. I got this. But then the essay goes further to say nine The nine that the one left behind will then yell at the one and say, you're responsible Uh, for us. Interesting. Save us. Help us. So here's the challenge why many people don't rise. Black, white, brown, male, female, and all that we identify as. Here's why. Because we go, wait a minute. If I rise, there there are two challenges. Am I responsible for you? Number one. And then number two, I've got to rise in a way where I don't make you feel bad that you stayed where you are. Like we feel so beholding to the cult of normalcy and mediocrity. It's a breakdown. And so it slows us down because all of that stinking thinking (laughs) is is literally mud on the feet of our destiny. It, It carries us down. And we and and we get so overwhelmed with just the psyche of it all that we just go, uh, I'll just sit here and do this. Uh, I'll just I'll make another Instagram post. Oh, you know, (laughs) you know what I mean? We give ourselves permission to stay in the sea of beige versus being red hot and really showing up in the world. And it's a big disservice to who we've been caused to be. I think about my, as you say that again, I'm like, as you're giving this sermon, I'm like, okay, yeah, that was totally me. I was a successful pharmaceutical rep. I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but I was a rep. I was successful. I made good money. I didn't have to work too hard. I knew the job well. I was good at it. 
But there was such calling of like, there's more here. You know what you need to do. I knew what I needed to do. I needed to talk about relationships. I knew that was the birth of it. But I was also afraid of being rejected by my friends uh, for now talking about these things, especially because, you know, in my 20s, I really wanted to be celebrated when I was outside of relationship for being like a good ladies man, for being chivalrous and smooth and all those things that all of a sudden, if I valued integrity and sensitivity and communication, which was true, it was the loss of a relationship that really woke me up that I was out of integrity. And that was a journey, but, and still is, but you know, the, it really was this fear of having more momentum than the, at the speed that everyone was going. Like, I have a friend when he got divorced in his early 30s, he said to me, I feel like I was on the train that everyone else is on. And now that I've gotten divorced, I feel like I got kicked off the train and I'm standing on the platform watching everyone go by. And he said, and I've never been more happy to not be part of the momentum. And I really felt like when I feel as though when you say yes to a dream, whatever that means. And one thing that you said at the workshop that I'll never forget is I asked, should I quit my job and pursue my dream? And you told me to make my job the investor in my dream. And that completely shifted my perspective where I could stay at my work and it wasn't depleting me. It was now I was using it as a way of investing in what I was creating. So mm. that was transformative. A little mm. shout out to you again. The, <laughs> but all that to say is I know what it's like to feel the fear of being left behind, even though it might feel like you're getting ahead, which is a weird paradox. Yes. Yes. And, you know, Bob Proctor talks about this when he talks about paradigm of thought and paradigm of thought is basically made up of a cluster of beliefs. And the greatest challenge for many of us is that we borrow so many of our beliefs and we borrow so many of our upper limits. Gay Hendricks yes. talks about our upper limits. We borrow them. And so as a reflection, we tolerate so much. So I'm going to give everyone an exercise really quickly. Do it. When you, when you finish this podcast, number one, I believe note takers are money makers. So come back and take notes on this podcast. And when you say, well, Allison, what do you mean by note takers are money makers? I call any abundance, any growth in your life money, right? So when I spend, when I, my nieces and my nephews know I have two accounts, I have a love account and I have a success account. And so when they're with me, I'm like, you're my love account, you're money all day long. So they're, they're never a compromise to my success, actual money that goes in my bank and my investment accounts that I divest in. Like they know they never impact that because they are so worthy of my time, of my energy, of my love, because they are a different kind of currency for me. So when I say note takers or money makers, I mean, you get currency from your understanding. You get currency from mm. being present, right? There's a rise that comes because of that. So here's the exercise. Write down the 10 things that you are tolerating currently in your life. Well, Allison, I'm not tolerating anything. Everything that I live, I choose. Okay, write down the 10 things that you're tolerating 
in your life. Allison, I don't tolerate anything. I'm very happy. I'm very pleased. <laughs> I love the way things are going. Da, 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 da. Okay. I understand. Write down the 10 things <laughs> that you're tolerating in your life because, you know, life is changed and growth is optional. And the option of growth only comes when we are aware that there are things that we take on that we somehow surrendered control to something or someone. So when I look at what I was tolerating in my life, I was tolerating being over a hundred pounds overweight. A reflection of that is I was tolerating getting on a plane. And every time I got on a plane, I tolerated the negative perception of others. Like I Mm -hmm. always thought everybody was going to hate sitting next to me. So then I tolerated first class, not because I wanted the amenities of first class. I just wanted the luxury to be fat. Like I was like, mm. I just need to be able. So then I tolerate it. And then I brought in compensating sexy strategies to support something that wasn't good for my, my health. Now I'm not saying everyone that has weight that, that you need to drop it. That could be your choice for me. I tolerated the weight. I tolerated how I felt. I tolerated walking into bars and thinking every time that men would not choose me. Like I tolerated so much anxiety and self animosity. So when you look at one thing that you tolerate, there's a ripple of at least 10 other things that are slowing you down. And the reason that I bring this up, Mark, is because they fatigue your spirit. All of those ways of thinking and being fatigue you. And that fatigue doesn't allow spirit to download your next play. So your Mm -hmm. giftedness, your contribution in the world, your purpose is stifled, stagnated, and trapped by all of those ways of thinking and being because you're tolerating being less than who you were brought here to be. And somewhere you borrowed that psyche that that's okay and that it's all right for you to live a life pretending. And what I want to disrupt you on today is that you get to stop pretending and you get to be your total self, but that's going to take time. And it starts with you going, you know what? I'm tolerating. Here are the 10 things. And when you identify that, no boxing gloves, it's just awareness. But my mentor, Stedman Graham, taught me this a long time ago. Many of you know Stedman Graham. A lot of people call him Oprah's boyfriend. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Stedman, I know now who you're talking about. <laughs> and now they're like, oh, I know. But Stedman said this to me, the greatest disservice to making a difference for your life is confusing awareness for actual action. Mm, So knowing something and not doing shit about it. Boom. Now you're the one preaching, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So these are awareness points Mm. that we're bringing up for you today. And then you get to give yourself the gift of action. And my commitment is you know, to always bring forward awareness and then to invite you to say, what is the one action that I could take that could move the needle? 
the one action for me when I was looking to release weight. I think it's a great example because people understand that when I was looking to release weight, my one action that I could take was weight loss surgery. So I had the surgery. Then my one action that I could take after that was to move my body every day. Then the one action that that then inspired was to get my ounces of water up you know, 20 ounces, 30 ounces, 40 ounces, 50 ounces, a hundred ounces. The more I move my body, the thirstier I was. So those goals, the goals become easier and simpler and more clear as you take the first step. But many of us want to see the entire penthouse, but we don't want to go through the pain of walking up the stairs to get there. Mm -hmm. There's no elevator that just ushers you straight in. There's a process. And so hopefully this podcast will support you in a part of your process. Well, I think sometimes the idea of get the penthouse and not getting it just makes us not try because we don't think about all the steps on the way up. We just are like, well, I can't get it. So I might as well, like, I can't get the fit body. I can't get the entrepreneurship. I can't get the relationship. Like if we're in a bad relationship, we think about like, well, this is better than not being in one. No, it's not. The exchange is you're exchanging a relationship that's below average for one that's better. It could be the same relationship. I'm just saying like the, the steps that you need to take. And I think sometimes the vision, uh, the pain of, the vision of not getting it causes us to not start, not realizing that the journey itself is so juicy. The uh, the path on the way to the penthouse has got lots of different amazing experiences. And I think we forget that a lot of the time. I know we forget it. You know, I think about how much I've dated. I dated a man in my 20s and I'll never forget him saying to me one time being very confrontational. And he said, I think you're a lesbian. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And I said, why? And he said, because everything that you're wanting to negotiate me out of is my masculinity. So I think you want to be with a woman. I don't think you want to be with a man. Mm. And (laughs) I remember going, wait, what? (laughs) He He said, because you're trying to negotiate me out of my core. And that doesn't feel good, Allison. That was a big lesson for me, Mark. After him, I dated a man who said to me, I was working for BlackBerry. I made six figures. I loved it. I had an expense account. I had a great little car. I had a perfect apartment, a great little roommate. It was so cute. And by all intents and purposes, I was just living, you know, a really good life. And he said, I think you're leaving behind a lot of you. And I think there's more. And the way that he said it to me is one night we were laying in bed. We just made love. It was so great. And he he reaches for his laptop. And I'm like, dude, what the hell? He says, I want to show you something. And he pulls up a picture of Oprah Winfrey. And I said, why are we looking at Oprah? Like the the the, the fucking room is musty and, you know, it's There's Jodeci playing. I get Listen, it. Listen, yeah, like, yeah. you know, your refractory period should be up. Your refractory period. <laughs> 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 we should be ready to go again. And this is what you're doing. And he says, pulls up a picture of Oprah and he says, she's going to retire at some point. And he said, the question is, what space has she opened up for someone like you? And he said, because when you were little, there had never been an Oprah before until there was. And so how many little girls are waiting on Alison Bird to show them they get to do what? 
there's more in you. And so now I've dated a man that said to me, when you're with men, you know, what do you really want with them? Do you want them to be their total selves or do you want them to be who you want them to be? Then I date a man that says, listen, who are you going to be in the world? How are you going to show up? After that, I dated a man and uh, got engaged to him. The only man I've ever been engaged to. He was a great man. He just wasn't my husband. He was so tender and so kind and so loving and so compassionate. And he introduced me to the compassion of life, the compassion for others. It was just so different to be with him and to be with family and the way that he brought me into a culture of love that I'd never known. And then after him, I dated a guy who I would be in bed with him and I would rush to the orgasm. And he would say, what are you rushing for? And I didn't know I was rushing. I just thought that's the way sex went. And I was just, you know, basically like, you know, for for women who know what I mean, when you've manufactured orgasms so much, whether you sat on a dryer, rubbed on furniture, had a pillow <laughs> between your legs, yeah, whatever yeah. you did to get it going. And- shower head, I hear, is a good one, too. Oh, man, that shower head. I'm not getting in the way of that one. I need to shout out the shower head for the ladies. Man, the ladies. Man. You want to talk about a sermon, the showerhead preaches an entire (laughs) message. And I remember him saying to me, lay, lay back. And I was like, no, you know, I'm I'm done. I, I like, I'm good. He's like, no, 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 you're not done. And I'm like, no, no, for real. I did. I wasn't faking. He's like, I did it, but there's more. And I'm like, wait, more. And he was the first man that I allowed to introduce me to multiple orgasms Mm. and numbers show that 67% of women in heterosexual relationships fake orgasms consistently. So because women consistently fake orgasms, not only do they not have the real thing, they can never get to more. I believe that's how many of us live our lives. We spend so much time faking that we like what's happening, that when we get a concept, an idea, a notion, a vision that more could even come, we're like, no, it's too distant because we didn't even get to the initial pleasure, right? the initial happiness, the initial fulfillment, the initial joy. So my point in in going through my lovers and those experiences is that our life, our lives, that's how I want to say it. I was thinking I was saying it incorrectly, but our lives are our teachers. And we've got to give ourselves permission to stop letting those teaching moments limit us in thought, increase our fear, you know, um, overwhelm us with the idea of failure, you know, uh, push us into no community and isolation or wrong community, you know, make us think that we're waiting on God. Maybe I should be praying more. Maybe there's some external force that's either working against me or going to work for me better than I could work for myself. Mm. Let go of questioning your ability release cynicism or jealousy or anger at the success of others, or even the private doubt of, will I really do it? And so how do you do that? You listen to messages like this, you get in programs, you get with people that help you unwind 
those uh, ways that we've uh, that we've manifested over time in life, and we get to let go. Sometimes you just get to say, "Manifestation complete." I'm ready to start with something new. You know, you get to say that to yourself, and and you'll actually then start to curate a life that you love and that will love you back. Well, I think as people release uh, or find out that something they adopted as a truth from someone else, like a belief you were talking about, Bob Proctor's work, that they adopted the belief, they just accepted things as true. Like you can't do this. It's not this. It's not whatever it is. And this is just the way it is. This is just normal, blah, 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 blah. When you realize, like I'm sure as people are listening to this, they're like, holy shit, I've done that. I've I've allowed myself to stay in the momentum of average because, you know, in Australia, they have that term like tall poppy syndrome, that you don't mm-hmm. want to be a tall poppy if you get too successful. It's like the starving artist. As soon as you become a successful artist, you've sold out. That we have these ways of trying to reel people back in. You were saying the, um, the talented 10th, right? Like the nine are reeling it back in and it's, so, or looking for to be saved by that person, which is really fascinating. I can't wait to look my, more of that up, by the way. And I think about like, as soon as you realize that one thing that you took as truth is untrue, then you now will have a lot of cognitive dissonance because you'll realize that if one thing is untrue, then there's likely more than one thing that's untrue, which I always like to ref- tell people is like, that's the perfect place to be because now you're connected to reality. Now the the truth that's within you is being born. You're picking up the pieces you left behind, as you said at the beginning. And I think it's important from like the human experience to recognize that there's often a large amount of grief that visits us in that moment too, because we have grief, maybe anger too, because we realize that we've allowed these old ways of being or these beliefs of other people to become ours. And so in a way, we've abandoned ourselves. And so just the recognition that there's both a sadness that might visit or an anger, but that emotion can be channeled into the actual transformation. Like I say to people, like anger is not bad. Grief is not bad. Grief is grounding. Anger demands change. So channel it into the transformation, channel it into the reclamation, channel it into the creation of what you're bringing to the world. And and it's easy to talk about it from like the perspective relationally, but, it, you know, I only talk in the context of relationship because it's the magnifying glass to all the shit we are bad at. But it's, it's this how you do one thing is how you do everything. It's like if you're leaving something on the table for you personally with purpose or work or anything, you're leaving shit on the table with love. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally know what you mean. And I'm, you know, one of the things that you said is you said we abandon ourselves and that's why the prayer return me. Like, that's why it's so important Mm. because the pieces of yourself that you've abandoned, because at some point somebody told you that was not okay. And they were trying to just teach you one thing about it. I'll give you an example. I'm known to the world as the profit accelerator, P-R-O-F-I-T right? Money, 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 money. And so when you come to me, people know me in the world. I'm the conversion, explosive growth, predictable, consistent wins, like all the things that's what I'm known for. But when we were writing that, my brand messenger was interviewing my clients and she came back to me and she said, I'm conflicted with, do I spell this P-R-O-F-I-T for money? or P-R-O-P-H-E-T 
because you have a gift of seeing the future. And everyone that I interviewed said you could see their future and you could see it more clearly than them. And then you could reverse engineer the steps to get them there. I said, that's exactly me. But Mark, when she interviewed my mother, who was still on this side of the world at at that time, my mother ascended in 2015. When she interviewed my mother, my mother said, when Allison was a little girl, there was a time when she was about four or five and we were at dinner and I turned and looked and Allison was no longer in her chair. She said, and I'm like, where, you know, where is she? She's like, oh my God. It's, you know, the eighties kids are going missing everywhere. Like it's a whole thing. You know, the milk carton thing started around that time. And, and so she's like, where's my daughter? So she panics. She's running through the restaurant and she sees me sitting, having a conversation with a woman <laughs> and the woman is bawling. And my mother runs over like Allison Octavia. <laughs> what are you doing? She full named you. That's not yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, she full named me. <laughs> And the woman says, is this, you know, is this your daughter? And she's like, yes, what's going on? And she said, she, she, <laughs> and I said, I had a message for her from her daughter. And my mom said, do you go to school with her daughter? And the woman's trying to talk. She's like, she, she, <laughs> and she's like, what? And she said that her daughter had been dead for like, yeah, however many years. And here I was bringing a message forward and I trusted my intuition. Now here's what happened. My mother was so upset that I had abandoned conformity, safety, but still conformity of stay in your chair. I don't care if spirit moves you, you stay where you are, you eat this food and that keeps us all safe. I move mm-hmm. based on the spirit at four or five years old and go deliver this message to this woman to tell her what her little girl is saying from the other side. I got in so much trouble, Mark, that the lesson I took from that was that my gift was bad. And when Mm. I honored it, I did things that upset my mother. Mm. They upset other humans. And, And what we learned very early in life, don't fucking upset other humans. Yeah, you learn that a lot now too. So there I was now like, I can't be in my gift. And that wasn't the mm-hmm. lesson. The lesson was, you know, communicate with my mom. Da, 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 da. But the other problem is my mom was a single mom, often exhausted and overwhelmed. And so was she really going to hear a child say, I'm getting a spiritual download <laughs> and, I, yeah. and I'm going to need you to allow me to wander around and prophesy to the people as da, da, da. And yeah, so yeah. many of us, we have super human, supernatural gifts that are meant for the world. But instead we've learned to be an accountant. Instead, we Mm. want to be a doctor. Instead, we've learned to be an attorney. Instead, we've learned to be a customer service rep. Instead, we've learned to be a retail worker. And, uh, and we've suppressed 
the flow of that gift. So um, that's that's deeply unfortunate um, to me when I think about how great our world could really be if we allowed ourselves to be the totality of ourselves and not just... It's said of Hitler that he did not just fraction Germany, he factioned it, where he was so disruptive to Germany that he made it to where the country could never be whole again. Like it was just so, uh, what he did was so abysmal. And for many of us, we have lived through things that have factioned us from ourselves. Mm. And that's brutal. That's brutal. And I want to acknowledge those of you where I may be making things sound too easy and too simple and even maybe so preachy that that you're kind of disconnecting from this because you've suffered something that you can't even get out of your mouth. I want you to know that I'm speaking to you, too. I want you to know that you too can be reconciled to your wholeness. And the way that I know you can is the fact that you were even attracted to this podcast to begin with. You could have listened to 80 million other episodes that Mark did, but you listened to this one. So even though you think your faith is non-existent, even though you haven't decided what deity you believe in, or even if you believe that a deity exists at all, you were led here, your spirit guided you here, and you're not as empty as you think. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. I got shivers. Mm. I love the the serendipity of things. You know, it's to make this moment exactly as it is occurring right now, as it is in someone's ears listening to it and the message coming out of your and my voice. And for me to start a podcast, to be at a workshop you gave that changed me and made me begin. That was the moment I began this, Uh, which is so cool to think that now you're back in a chair and now we're discussing this stuff because of the light that was further lit within me from being in your presence. So I think that's a, for it to now be in someone else's ear is not by fucking chance. Like, I mean, let's be honest, people listening. The fact that your parents played Marvin Gaye and made you is, <laughs> it, and the one sperm and the one egg, I forget. It's like one in 400 trillion or something. And what a time to be alive, to share this. Mm-hmm. Whew. All right, Alison Bird, that I feel like I've, been to church. Feel good. (laughs) I love it. I'm so grateful. I feel like, you know, there's so much that's available and um, available for our growth and for our opportunities. There's a book called Changing for Good. And it says that 50% of people who attempt behavior change basically relapse within 21 days. And the reason that they relapse is because they don't recognize that there are stages to our change, or as former President Barack Obama swapped that word out, change, and he uses the word progress, which I think is so good. Um, Whether you agree with him as as a politician or not, I just love the word swap. And because change sounds so hard and difficult, but progress sounds just as it is, like you're just on your path. So in 
change, there's a pre-contemplation stage where you're like, there's no intention for you to make a difference, but there's just a future. You just kind of look ahead. Like, I think something for me, you know, might be able to be different and you get these whispers but you spend more time in denial than you do acceptance. Mm. And then something comes along that moves you from pre-contemplation into contemplation, where you start to seriously think about overcoming what you don't enjoy the most in your life. And so you can identify areas where you've been ambivalent or apathetic, you know, your money, your health, your wellness, your spirituality, your groundedness, um, your, um, relationships, you know, and you start to go, wait a minute, there might be some core wounds that have some weeds cropping up around it. And you could feel daunted in that contemplation stage. And a lot of people, Mark, stay between contemplation and the third stage, which is the preparation stage, which is the getting ready to get ready. Mm. Like it's like double Dutch, like I, you know, (laughs) double Dutch. And if you've never seen double Dutch, if you don't understand the reference, just look it up on YouTube. And that's, you know, it takes a moment because you got to watch how the ropes are hitting. So you got to get in on a rhythm. And so double Dutch is, you know, am I going to do it? Am I not going to do it? So the preparation stage is getting ready to get ready. It's the attempt for behavioral progress. And it can be really challenging because you're like, I think I want to do it. So it's like the little engine that could, I think I can, I think I can. Mm. And then the preparation stage is what leads to the action stage. And so it's the hybrid of the action and the contemplation and the preparation. You're always in all of those where you're having to go back. I got to unlearn something. I got to learn something new and I've got to be remembered, remembered, reconciled, brought back to myself to identify why this is even important for me. So I want to say to everybody, whatever stage you're in, you could be in pre-contemplation, you could be in contemplation, you could be in preparation, action, or a hybrid. And this is why progress is so difficult, Mark, because We could be in the action stage on relationships and like really working it out and jamming on it, but we could be in contemplation and linger there in regard to our money. Mm -hmm. So we're deep in love, but we're broke as fuck. Like, (laughs) oh. Man, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Love's a good distraction from being man, broke. lots of good distraction. But listen, after you know, after you <laughs> finish your little love affair and you got the munchie, you can't nobody buy nothing. So <laughs> it's a situation, and I and that's why so many people get what they call stuck because they think that every area of their life should be action, and that's not real. You are Mm. always going through those stages of progress in multiple areas. And what balances you, what has balanced me and what human potential experts say balances all of us is our emotional intelligence in how to navigate. 
all of that that's going on in our psyche. So to everyone that's on, I just, you know, want to speak with just deep love and acknowledgement. Being a human is not easy. It is, it is not easy, but I will say everything about you, everything about you is working together for your good. Everything about you, you are authentically and purposely and intrinsically amazing. And you were born to make a difference and bring light into the world as only you can. And sometimes when we hear be a world changer, that just is too massive for us. So I like to boil it down to be a moment changer. If you can make a difference in the moment as I'm making it with Mark, Mark's making it with me, and we're making it with you, we've made a difference in your moment. That moment will build momentum and that momentum will create a movement inside of your soul. And that movement is what will give you the courage to awaken to the best parts of who and why you are so that you can be unapologetic in what you desire and give yourself permission to offer to the world. I mean, fuck. Yeah. I like that. So with all that said, where do people, cause I'm sure now people are like, okay, I got to find more of this woman. She's, she's lighting my shit up. So, <laughs> so I, I mean, I'm motivated. I'm going to go write down shit. I'm tolerating too, which I do remember an exercise similar to that, that we did. Yeah. So, um, where do people find, first off, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom and your purpose and bringing that little girl who left the table. I'm glad that she left there and came here for this podcast. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you. Um, and I'm curious. So for, for people who are like, I want more, where do people find more? Yeah. So, um, I love to connect with people on Instagram, just like you do. Um, I absolutely love it. I am always available, you know, I create availability there. And so that's just a place of joy and delight for me. So follow me on the gram at I am Allison Bird. You got to spell my name right. Otherwise you're going to be following, I don't know, Allison in Minnesota. And I don't know. (laughs) You're not a Midwest Minnesota kind of lady. (laughs) No, but uh, follow me there. Follow my stories, follow my posts, um, and maybe about somewhere between two to four times a year, I'll do something like a master class or something on the soul, on uh, manifestation, money, something like that. But I spend 85% of my time inside my tech company. Cool. And yeah, that's that's my work right now. But I get to play and have fun on the gram. So follow me there. Let's connect and let's be internet besties. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here, for giving your time and in all of your expression and your soul and your experience. Thank you for sharing all of that with me and with us. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thanks for having me.